this week on the Southgate Student Ministry Podcast. We are going to take time to discuss more what John meant in 1 John when he's talking about walking in the light. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 11 of chapter 2 of this beautiful book and we're going to be challenged to be better than we ever have been before in our striving to walk in the light. Thank you so much for listening. Last week we started out uh, we started out this this book of first John. We started this study, and if you remember, first John starts off with this section, this this, this letter to the Ephesians, and first John starts out with this whole idea of walking in the light. This is kind of the, the, the thing that we really focused on last week. It was this big idea of, of walking in the light, and as we go through life, um, if we are walking in the light, for striving towards Christ, we are going to be um, constantly forgiven. We're going to be uh, like oh, constantly washed with the blood of Christ. And this is what John is writing in this letter up to this point, up to where we read last week um, through verse 10. It's this whole idea of, hey, walk in the light, not in the darkness. And if you remember last week, we discussed the idea of like, it's, it's like driving down a road during the daytime and hitting a tunnel. It's like walking through the light and having sins compared to driving at night when it is fully uh, dark outside. It, it's a huge difference. And what John is going to do is John is going to continue in this lesson of walking in the light, but he's going to go a few different directions with it. That, that we might be familiar with, that we might sit there and be like, that's common, but I want us to apply it to this idea of walking in the light today. If you want to go ahead and be opening your Bibles to 1 John, uh, I see that most of you are already there, but if you want to go ahead and go to 1 John uh, chapter 2, that is where we're going to be for the entirety of tonight. Um, and so I want us to go ahead and be turned there so we can be uh, ready to study. I want us to read... Verse 1, to get going this evening, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now I want us to stop there. See, what he does in this passage is he starts out um, in, in, in such a fascinating way, in my opinion. Because here he is, he's writing this epistle, or, or this, this letter, uh, to these people in Ephesus, and he's sitting here writing this uh, to a church that's gone through it all, that's been pretty established, even though it's meeting in a house most likely at this time, and he starts out by saying, my little children. It's not like he's writing to the kids here. He's not strictly writing this book to those who are, who are under the age of 10. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, it, it, it is the, the word that's used here for children is this idea of infant. It's this idea of a, of a child who's like not yet two, a child who, who is just a baby, who, who has just recently been born, who can't walk or talk or, or anything. It's this idea of somebody a mother would cradle. That's what, when he says, my little children, this is the idea that he's referencing in this point. And I'm like, why would he do this? What he's doing here as, as the author, as writing to these people, is he's addressing their spiritual state. 
Because even though, like I said before, these are people who, man, they've been here for a while. These are people who you would sit here and be like, they, they know what they're doing. There are certain members of that congregation, most likely, who you would look at and say, wow, that member of the congregation, they are a good person. They have been serving Christ for years. They are awesome. And John comes in and says, you are still very much an infant in the word of God. You might think that you're up here. You might even feel like you're low, but you might feel like you're at least 10 or 11. But in reality, in your spiritual life, in your, your, your ability to decipher spiritually, you still have so much room to grow. And it makes me look at myself. And I hope it makes you look at yourself right now because, because we as, as human beings that, that come to church can sit here in a classroom and be like, man, I'm there. Like, I understand the Bible. I understand what it's saying. I understand that, that it says some stuff. I understand that, that it has wisdom in it. I, I've read it countless times. I, I've, I've been at church since I was zero, or I, I've read the Bible all my life. I get kind of what the Bible is saying. And I think that the Christians in, that John's writing to here would have probably been in a similar state that we were in. They feel like they know where they are. They feel like they have a faith that's strong. And yet John writes to these Christians, and then 1 John, these early century Christians who are so close to Jesus, who are getting letters from John, and he says, you infants, you children. And I think John could look at all of us and, and write us this letter today directed at us. And I think that he could say, my little children, my infants, those of you who have so much room to grow. Those of you who have so much room to spiritually mature. And I think he points out an idea that we have to be aware that we are not as spiritually mature as we might think we are. I think he starts out this passage as a call to humility. Because what he's about to say is something that, that they probably have felt like they've heard, and we'll get more to that in just a minute. But he's saying these things, and these children are having to sit here, and, and, and they're listening to this, and he's bringing them back down to earth to prepare them for what's about to come next. And then he goes on to that verse and says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, if you remember last uh, week, I hope you were here last week. If you weren't, um, come back to have a podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, or any podcast app that none of you use yet, probably. Does anyone listen to podcasts? No, you will. All of you will at some point. Oh, what, Lex? Like, Natalie? Okay, so yes. Uh, at some point, you will listen to podcasts in your life. Um, but that's a great way to consume um, information. But go back and listen to last week or watch it on YouTube if you weren't here last week. Um, because that will uh, be helpful in context for this week. But he sits here and he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, I can only imagine what they would have thought reading what we read last week. Because when you think about what we read last week, he goes through and he talks about this idea of, hey, when you walk in the light and you sin, if you're striving for the light, it's okay, you're constantly cleansed. And these are Christians who, who aren't really familiar with the church world. They're, they're kind of the, the, the trailblazers. They're the ones who are carving the path to the mountain when it comes to being a Christian. And so when they read these words, it's like, oh man, like that's freedom. That's total freedom. I'm okay to sin. 
when I sin and mess up, it's fine. What happens is I'm good. That's what you just said, John. And so what he's doing is he's trying to make the statement clear and that you're not just going to sin because you feel like it. Just because you feel like it doesn't mean that you can sin at any point. Um, I don't know, this happened out of the blue and applied really well to this lesson. I had this lesson written last week, but like, like it applied really well. Um, it, that, that chick, uh, Jojo, what's her face? Was Sue, Sue, yes. She was at, she was downtown Nashville last night for a concert. And I was like, who is this? Um, and so of course, I was sitting there on YouTube and I was like, Jojo Siwa, or whatever her name is. Um, and I was like, what are kids listening to? And when I say kids, like, like, understand, I know that kids is like, probably younger, do younger kids, or do all you guys listen to them? No, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I really hope that you're not bored, <laughs> because we don't want to digress that much. But I was listening, um, I turned on, and I was like, what are four-year-olds getting in the world today? What are five-year-olds uh, possessing from music? And it was interesting because as she was singing her songs that all these little four and five-year-old girls would listen to, they were all about, like, do what makes you feel happy. Be whatever you want. And I was like, man, that's great. Except for that when you're 25 and you're trying to make hard life decisions and you're trying to teach those kids in 15 years what it means to walk in the light and not in the darkness, it's going to be really tough because what they're going to, what they will have heard since this young age is do whatever you feel like, do whatever makes you happy, be you, be yourself, and that's all great and that's all important when it comes to, to living life and being bold. But what John is trying to say here in this book is just because you feel like something doesn't mean you can sin. Just because you feel like you want this doesn't mean you can always have it. It doesn't mean you can choose to, to let sin be an active part of your life. He's, his, his point is, hey, when you slip up, don't worry about it. You're covered. But the goal is to avoid those slip-ups. And when you're constantly striving to not live in sin, and, and we sit here, and, and last week, I believe I said, like, if anyone tells you you have to like, try to be perfect to get to heaven, uh, I said that they would be a liar, and that's the case. Because it's impossible to be perfect. But the thing that's key to this idea that John is trying to get across here is that the idea of walking in the light comes from the striving to be the best we can be. The striving to walk in the way that we can. The effort to avoid sin. And in this one verse, he does so many things because he humbles us. He brings us to this idea um, of, hey, you can't do exactly what you feel like. Walk in the light. Um, and he also brings up the main point of Christianity. The main point of Christianity. He ends this first one. But if anyone does sin, which by the way, for all sin, we know this. If anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
The idea of an advocate is one who pleads the cause on the case of another. The, the, the main goal of one is to look at somebody who, who can't speak for themselves, the one who doesn't have a voice, who can't, who can't be strong, and to give them somebody that will listen to them. It's essentially the idea of a defense lawyer. And when we think about our lives as, as human beings, when we think about people who are striving to be Christians, we are one of these people who, if we were to walk into a courtroom, we have committed the wrong of the wrongs that places us in that courtroom. We are the person who is on trial for murder. And not only are we on trial for murder, but we are very guilty. We actually killed the person. We are somebody who, who should be put in prison for life. We're somebody who, who is a terrible human being. And somehow, our lawyer who's, who's up there on our behalf, our advocate, the person who's fighting for us, looks at the jury and goes to the judge and says, you know what, not only does this person deserve, uh, not, not only... Um, are they not guilty? They deserve to be free at this moment. And for some reason, everyone in that room was like, you know what? They deserve to be free. And we are set free. But it's not just like that. It's like if you're set free and the next day you go out and murder somebody. And once again, you have to walk into that courtroom as a guilty party. Somebody who's a murderer and you get taken and, and the lawyer once again says, you know what? They deserve to be free and you're set free. And the day after that, you murder somebody and you're set free. And it goes on every single day where we are guilty of the ultimate sin and yet we are set free. And we as Christians way too often forget that this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. But we forget way too often that Jesus has set us free. Because we sit here in a room with, with these people, we have a group of people who sits down there and, and we let it become mundane. We let it be a thing that just happens every single day or, or every single Wednesday night or every single Sunday. And it just is a thing that we do when we meet together to worship the God. We don't give them our all. We don't worship with everything we have. When we go into our lives, we don't care to tell people about them. We forget this idea that is so Im impressively powerful that we are literally as bad as a murderer. We are literally the worst of the worst every single day on the scale of what sin is. And yet Jesus sets us free every single day. And he took our place and essentially said, I'm the murderer. Take my sin away. When we realize how intensely powerful that is, when we realize the beauty of what Jesus has done for us, I think we can grasp a little bit better what it means to strive to walk in the light. He describes it in verse 2 with, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not only does Jesus forgive our sins, but it's literally for the entire world, anyone who is going to accept him and be baptized into Christ. And then there's another thing that really pops to me from this passage. John's just hard hitter after hard hitter. Verse 3. By this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we might know that we are in him. We've talked about it just a little bit, just a second ago. But he brings up this idea of do we follow his commandments? Do we follow his commandments? Now this is a simple question that you've been approached with over and over again in a church world. Where you sit here and people are like, well, do you follow Jesus? Do you? It's like I imagine like the preacher, with, like the I'm imagining like Joel Osteen right now, like, like smiling with his hair all curly and... Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, like, like, do we follow his commandments? Like, when we look at our lives, when we look at today, when we look at yesterday and the last week and the last month, and we say, okay, am I striving to be like Christ? Is that something that we have done? Do we love others? Do we, do we talk to the people who are different than us? Do we serve instead of just listen? Do we look in the mirror and see faults and walk away? Are we honoring the commandments that he's given us. Because what he's trying to get across, he's bringing this back around to earlier in the passage, earlier in his writing where he said, hey, if you want to have fellowship with me, if you want to have participation with me, walk in the light. And he's bringing this all the way back around to the idea of if you want to have fellowship with Christ, if you want to have participation in the blood of Christ, keep his commandments and if we sit here and we claim to have that fellowship, he brings it back around and says, if we claim to have it and we don't, he calls us a liar. He calls us a liar. And I personally don't want to be a liar. I want to be somebody who's full of the truth. Verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In verse 6, it's this here, it's like, hey, do you walk as much like Jesus as you can? Do you go around loving people who don't deserve to be loved? Do you go around and forgive those who don't mean to be forgiven? And that's not me saying that you have the power to forgive sins, but you have the power to forgive people who you feel like have wronged you. Do you walk every day in the same way that Jesus walked? If we do that, then the light will be in us. We will be full of the light, and we will be walking in the light, and that cleansing will be constantly over us. What he's going to do from here is he's going to sort of change the tone. He's going to go for like, okay, from a, this is what's taking place, to this is how we can do it. So he goes from keep his commandments, uh, walk in the light, to this is how you are going to be able to walk in the light. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. All right, this is an odd, I say it's odd. It's a different way to look at it, in my opinion. Because John starts out this idea, and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm writing to you, and I'm not going to give you a new commandment here. It's, it's no new commandment. It's one that you have been listening to over and over again. This is one that since you became a Christian, you've been getting taught this lesson. It's been something that, that's been repetition. It's, it's part of who they were becoming. And it makes me think about us. 
You and I, and I mentioned this just a second ago, but when I think about us and, and, and where we live uh, in, in the state of Christianity that we are in today, how bored are we with it? How bored are we with walking in and hearing the same lesson over and over again? If you're sitting there right now and you're like, man, I've heard this lesson a thousand times. Why am I sitting here? Maybe you're like, it hasn't been, obviously it hasn't been this exact lesson, but this, this idea and this concept, I've heard it a hundred times. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm exhausted of it. Because we sit here and feel like we've heard a message before. And what the author is doing, what the author John is doing in this moment, is he's about to share this message. And he prefaces it. He says, you know what? You have heard this message before. This is not a new commandment. What I'm about to tell you is something that, that you've heard a hundred times. That since you were baptized into Christ, since you became a Christian, this is something that people have been trying to tell you. That this is an active part of your life. And you need to hear it again. John gives this message. And tonight I want to challenge you with this, from this statement right here. When you walk through the doors, when you hear a lesson that you feel like you've heard 50 or 100 times, do you tune it out or do you listen? Do you tune out the lesson that you feel like you've heard over and over again, or do you actually sit there and listen? Because I can tell you, when I sat there in, in your shoes, and even today at points, I find myself walking into the church building, and if I'm not teaching that specific class, I can sit there and be like, man, I've heard this lesson, and my mind can wander to other places. And maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're sitting here thinking, I don't want to be in this classroom. I've heard this over and over again. I'm sick of the lesson that I'm hearing. It's constant. I want to challenge you right now to sit here and reevaluate yourself. Because what's happening is, is you have an arrogance about you that says, you know what, I'm an adult, I'm mature in Christ. And what John has done in this passage alone is he said, no, you're not an adult in Christ yet, you're, you're still an infant. And also he says, by the way, I'm about to give you a commandment that you've heard over and over again, but it's still important. And we have to humble ourselves to a point where we're ready to say, you know what, it doesn't matter what the message is. There's a reason it's being taught. There's a reason Ben's teaching it. There's a reason John or Joe is teaching it. There's a reason whatever teacher it is on that specific day, there's a reason they're teaching it. And I'm going to tune in and I'm going to listen with everything I've had. I heard an old preacher story one time. I don't know who uh, told it, and maybe you've heard it. But a preacher got up one Sunday morning, and, uh, and the preacher preached on love. And everyone was like, great lesson, great lesson. And the next Sunday morning, the preacher got up, and he preached on love. And the next Sunday morning, the preacher got up, and he preached on love. And the next Sunday morning, the preacher got up and he preached on love. And he got up and preached on love for the next 37 weeks. Until finally one of the members of the congregation walked up and said, Preacher, man, why do you keep preaching on love? And the preacher said, When this congregation learns to love people, I will stop preaching on love. And I think John in this moment in this book, in this paragraph, in this sentence, is doing the exact same thing that that preacher and that story is doing. 
You've heard this so many times, you know the story, but I'm gonna use repetition to make sure you're applying it to yourself. Because how often do we walk in the doors and we hear a lesson, we're like, that's cool, and we go out to our lives and it's not applied. When we listen to a message, where we read a passage of scripture, and we walk out of that, that moment where we're reading that, where we walk out of the moment that we're focused on it, and it's like, cool. And that's that lesson, and that's all I care about that lesson. See, what, what John is challenging us to do, and, and like we said earlier, it's reflecting the teachings of Jesus. He's challenging us to be more than just people who are going to hear it. He's challenging us to be people who, hey, here's repetition until it's a part of your life. Here's a repetition until it's who you are. It's something that you live every single day. It's a lifestyle difference. And so he brings up the idea of what you've heard before, or what I'm about to tell you. Is something you've heard before. And he's about to kind of, it's almost ironic how he flips the script, but verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Wait, you just said it was an old one, but we'll get to that in a second. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, uh, in him, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right. So John's like, I just wrote and said this is not a new commandment, but at the same time, it is. Now, this seems very confusing, and it's like, well, Ben, why'd you just talk about what you just talked about? Here's why. He's writing this new commandment, new commandment, um, and he's, we talked last week that much of this book is going to reflect the teachings of Jesus. And so what John is doing is he's referencing back to his previous book, uh, in, in John 13, 34, where he says, A new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus, that you love one another just as I loved you, and you are also to love one another. Jesus is, or John is sitting here just saying, hey, this is the new commandment that Jesus gave to you. It's a new commandment. Or it, but, but you've been practicing it since you became a Christian, so it's not a new thing to hear. So it is the new commandment that they were used to at this point. But what he's doing is, is he's sitting here and he's referencing this new commandment, and it's the call to love one another, this, this commandment to love everyone. And John, in this moment, is going to bring up that the darkness is fading away because the light is shining brighter than it ever has before on earth. And the, the commandment of love that Jesus gave to people at this time is key because loving others is forcing the light to go to all people not just the people that they were used to. It's forcing the light to go to all people, not just the people that they were used to giving it to. And John follows all of this up, which to me is such a challenge, with one of the fiercest passages of scripture that there is. And that's a really weird way to word it, but it's very fierce, um, in my opinion. Um, and he's going to challenge Christians like beyond what we like to be challenged with today. Verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You want to know a passage that's going to challenge us? This one. 
passage that's going to force us to, to be stronger, a passage that's going to force us to be a next level, a passage that, that, that is going to make us look at the world in a totally different way. He sits here and makes a statement. He says, if you say you're in the light, but you hate your brother, brother here being your Christian brother, you're not in the light, you're in the darkness. And, and, and the passage he's using here is different than neighbor, it's different than like earthly brother. It's this idea of your spiritual brother. He's saying you need to love every single person who's in your church family. Every single person who's a member of the congregation where you are, you need to love them. And that brings me to this challenge to us. When we look at their, ourselves, is there anybody in this congregation, in our church family, who we hate? Is there anyone who we hate? I want us to think about what hate is. I did some research, did some article reading, and came up with these conclusions based on studies. Other people's studies, not my own personal studies. Uh, the, the, there are like four factors of hate. One, it's fear of another that causes hate. Fear of yourself that causes hate. Fills a void that can cause hatred. And also societal and cultural factors. All right, so studies have shown that all those things lead to hate. And so when you look around the church, maybe you're sitting there on Sunday morning and you look around at the full congregation, you're sitting here in this classroom right now and, and you look around in this classroom. Is there anyone that you hate? Maybe you're like, man, all of you are like, who in here do I hate? Like, uh, <laughs> there were several of you who looked around. Um, but like, is there anyone that you hate? Is there someone you're afraid of? And I say afraid, like, not like they're going to come beat the snot out of you. Maybe it is that they're going to come beat you up. But you're, maybe you're afraid of their popularity or their personality. Maybe you're afraid of yourself. You hate somebody because they're trying to reach out to you uh, and you're, you're afraid to open up. Maybe you feel empty, like you're not enough. Hey, let's stay focused. You're just, they, they got out way early. Um, maybe you feel empty like you're not enough and the way to fill that up is just like disliking other people for no reason. Well, they think they're so great because like they study and like I hate them for that. Well, well, they think they're great because they like have a political agenda, and I don't have poli political views, so like I hate them. Uh, I hope you're right. Uh, they think they're so great because they are actively evolved, and like they, they walk in the room and they're cooler than me. Like I hate that, and I hate them so much. Maybe there's somebody who isn't as wealthy as you are, and you hate them because you feel like. Uh, that they're just kind of a hindrance and that they're not as great as you are because they don't have as much money as you are. Maybe you hate somebody because they have more money than you. And we hate all these people for different reasons. Stick with me because this, this is so key and such a strong part of this passage. I think our reaction to this so often is just sitting there saying, I'm good, it's all right, I'm okay to hate them. They can hate me if they want. I'm just going to go on and keep serving Christ. I'm just going to go on and, and keep on doing my thing spiritually, uh, but I do hate that person, and I really can't do it. We might not say we hate them. We might not even like have active thoughts of hatred against someone. But I think actions speak a whole lot louder than words in this moment. Because this is the challenging part. It's not about hating. It's about the treatment of brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you a jerk to people who are in this, this room, in this church building right now? 
Do you spend time with people in this room? Do you text them when they're hurting or do you text them when, when they're not around? Do you reject them if they're not in your friend group where you sit there and it's like, man, my friend group doesn't hang out with you and even though you're sitting next to me, I'm not gonna talk to you. Do you have a different background than school or a different home life than they do? And so you don't want to have anything to do with them. Who are the people around you in the church that you don't like? Or are you even present enough in the church to know if you don't like somebody? The hatred that's being talked about here it's more than just saying the phrase, I hate that person. It's the idea of rejecting people in the church altogether. Not wanting to be present, maybe. Not spending any time with anyone else in the congregation. And if we don't have a healthy fellowship with the people around us, then it's, we are told that we're walking in darkness. That no matter how many great connections you have, if there's somebody who you hate that, that you don't care about, that, that you, if they disappeared off the face of the earth and death tomorrow, you'd be like, eh, whatever, I don't care. If there's somebody like that, John says we're walking in darkness. No matter how great our life might be, are we going to be a people who are going to try to fix those relationships? For those people in our life that we feel like we hate. We're walking in the darkness. In the darkness, like it says in verse 11, has blinded our eyes. Let's walk in the light and love each other and love the church just like Jesus commanded us.